This is Daniel Figella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. We bring on a lot of perspectives on this show in the world of financial services. Many of you listeners are financial services folks or have previously worked in that industry, and there's a lot of AI traction there. We've had everybody from the former head of AI at HSBC, the head of AI at U.S. Bank, VPs of AI at firms like American Express and other financial services organizations. Uh, We've also talked to a lot of vendors, but it's interesting to get perspective from the people on the AI services side who are often building these AI-enabled products and these AI solutions for uh, financial services and fintech companies. We speak this week with Ricardo Panaggio, who's a data scientist at Dayton. Dayton has been ranked by the Financial Times as one of the fastest growing companies in America. This is a firm that's pretty swiftly ballooned up to over 500 employees around the world who work in financial services and other sectors. And we speak this week with Panaggio about financial services, specifically some particular use cases and things like open banking and external data sources that represent some interesting indicators as to where financial services and AI are headed together. We like to make things tangible. We like to add a variety of perspectives. And this services perspective, I think, is going to be interesting for those of you who are tuned in. And this episode is sponsored by Dayton. If you're interested in more financial services-related podcasts, by the way, you want to hear more use cases, more vendors, more trends, and more insights, check out our AI and financial services podcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go to SoundCloud or Spotify, and type in AI in financial services uh, into any of those platforms for podcasts, and be sure to subscribe to the AI and financial services podcast. That's where we only focus on financial services. Of course, we cover it every now and again here on the AI and Business Podcast, but I hope you'll become a subscriber on the AI and Financial Services Podcast as well. So without further ado, this is Panaggio with Dayton here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Panaggio, I know our overall theme for today is going to be around uh, how to make AI-related projects a little bit more predictable, a little bit more like engineering projects. Software development by itself already has high risks for projects in terms of estimating timelines, etc. Why is that even so much higher when it comes to AI? How do you like to think about that? This is a complicated topic, especially because you know AI projects they are still software projects in a sense, so it inherits all of those uh, issues. But even on top of those, we might have extra issues there, and there are. Not only for the common ones, it's harder for AI projects, but there are some that is are they are special to it. So it's just that you know software projects with a bit more will cause a bit more troubles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the term inherit. They inherit the problems of normal software development, but also have their own their own things. What are those? What are the ingredients here of these new unique layers of kind of complexity? Yeah, so let's talk a bit about uh, a few of the common ones. Uh, so let's say that if you're trying to find out a very good software developer in the market, that that's hard. Uh, but we have much more software developers out there than we have like data scientists. So just because of that, it's already much easier to find a software developer than a data scientist. So same problems, but harder for AI projects. For infrastructure, for instance, you might have your CI/CD pipelines, you might have uh, tests, everything else in place for software, but then you have all the machine learning models that you have to have the same stuff when you're talking about AI. So again, same problem, but with a plus. 
And then there's a lot of other things related to business goals, technical goals and metrics. Uh, so hard to, to do it on, on software generally. So 70% of the software projects might fail and I don't have a very good number yeah, for AI, yeah, yeah. but it, it, it feels bigger. <laughs> yes, and it is. Yeah. one of the reasons in this common area is that uh, we might have this misconception that AI is a magical black box. So along with you know having difficulties to set goals and set metrics, you have this misconception that you know you can put you, you have data, then you put a magical AI box in front of it and you have results. And that's not even near how it works. So this is kind of related to talent as well because you know uh, most companies might think that, oh, I can just hire a data scientist. I have data, I have a software and I hire a data scientist and that's fine. It's pretty much like a really big misconception. You really need a lot of other stuff in there to really be able to get to something and you know, to fulfill your business goals, your technical goals, and even to define metrics and get to those metrics because it's, you know, most of the time we have this misconception, then you can't really get to those early or, or even sometimes not even later. Yeah, and, and we, we sort of think about this like uh, we refer to executive AI fluency. That is to say, does our leadership, does the people who are mandating this project, the people who are driving towards this goal, do, do they know what AI is and what is what it isn't? Do they know realistically what the use cases are? Do they know realistically what it's going to take in terms of iteration, data infrastructure, data cleaning, or whatever, uh, to get this kind of project potentially done? Or are they treating it like IT and just kind of pointing at it like a project and saying, go get it done? Uh, and, and we often see that that IT analogy is what causes a tremendous amount of failure, a tremendous amount of, of misaligned expectations. Would you define it differently, Panagio, in, in terms of sort of what you see or, or the importance of what business people need to know? I'd love to get your thoughts on what the, the kind of must-know things are. Yeah, so th there's a lot of that. So uh, you can't really think that AI projects are the same as software projects for sure. And um, we, we've talked a bit about that, but those uh, misconceptions or ideas that it it's just software, so I can just do more of what I already know how to do, they don't really apply. So there, there's a lot that needs to be taken into consideration, uh, especially that probably if you just think of a software project as one cycle for uh, AI projects, you might have at least two cycles, right? At the very beginning, you should understand a bit more how things work, uh, if you have the proper data, if everything is well set up, if you have the right metrics and kind of have a POC or something like that at the very beginning or an MVP. and just because we have this initial phase, it's already very different from most software developments. A few software development projects might have that, but probably in a very smaller scale, probably uh, this is like, if it's there, because sometimes it even isn't, but if it's there, it's not even near what you need for AI projects. So th this needs to be there for sure on AI projects and, and people need to know about that. So, and the bigger the companies are, uh, the less these problems are, but you know, for smaller and medium-sized companies, then this kind of thing is, is much more widespread, right? The, this lack of knowledge that this is a different, yeah, yeah much yeah. different than, than software projects. Certainly, yeah. Mid-sized firms are just gonna have less in-house data scientists. They're, 
They're going to have less of their peers that are doing AI on some level, so they kind of know what to be prepared for. Less exposure getting burned by vendors who made over-the-moon promises. It's that kind of exposure that gets people a little bit more up to speed about reality. So yeah, I would say that the mid-market probably going to be less less prepared for that. Um, and so yeah, as you'd mentioned, the business and technical goals and metrics, this is its own thing. So talent, infrastructure, this whole uh, goals and metrics element, all of those are, are unique and more challenging. But I know there's some others too around you know compliance, ethical factors, etc. Um, what are some of the other sort of uh, things that people should keep on their radar or around what makes these projects unique? Yeah, so uh, one of the key things for AI projects is data, right? So you, you can't do re much on, or maybe depending on the project you could, but that's a very, very specific area. So most of the time, and it, that's very near 100% of the time, uh, you really need data to do something. So if you don't have data, you're, you're screwed. But that doesn't mean that you just need to have data. So you need to have good data. You need to have data in the in a good amount. So sometimes it's people think that they have a lot of data, but they actually don't for that specific problem. Or sometimes they have a lot of data, but it's all garbage. And that is also complicated. But there's a lot of other factors coming to that. So it's not about uh, quality and quantity, but also compliance. So there's a lot of laws these days that define how you, you need to collect data and store data. There are a lot of different things related to being able to understand what is there, if there's if whatever you're doing with data is that ethical or not. So all of those factors come in and makes it much more complicated. So if you don't have to think about data, uh, like in a software project, you don't have to think about all of those things, but on an AI project, you, you need to. So it's, it's mandatory that you think about all of those. And these are really unique stuff for AI projects. Most software uh, projects, you don't have to think about that. But for AI projects, you just, if you don't, then you're doomed from start. Yes. Uh, I, well, I will. I would push back against the word doomed if I didn't agree with you. But I do agree with you. And so I think uh, the word doomed is the right level of intensity that we should be talking about handling AI in a unique way that, it, that it, you know, in the way that it deserves to be treated. But of course... There are companies that are implementing AI successfully. There's folks who understand some of these core problems and are working their way towards uh, removing them, working their way towards a little bit more reliability in terms of setting our goals, pursuing an AI project, and having success as opposed to the folks who are doomed from the start. What are some of those ways to reduce these risks? What are what are the, the kind of step-by-step -step things we should be thinking about? Yeah, so we talked a bit uh, about a, a few topics. So let's start with uh, talent and infrastructure, which is one of the first things that I talked about. So as I said, a few companies might just think about hiring a data scientist and that will solve their problems, right? But that's not enough. Most of the time, you really need not only someone that understands the problem and can create an algorithm to solve that, but you also need to get the data from somewhere and move that into the the model and then get the results and do something about that. And maybe you're talking about an initial POC or you know an MVP that this data scientist can do, but then you have to scale this. And th that's not something that that data scientist alone will be able to do. So you might need a DevOps team, you might need a data engineer, or, and when I'm saying just one, but you know maybe you need much more of those. Uh, you need to invest on QA. Uh, there's all sorts of professionals that are needed on that team. Uh, so that you can really deliver some value and also infrastructure, right? So these people, is, they are not just there to 
do their jobs, but you even create infrastructure there for you to be able to test stuff or for you to be able to deliver this or to scale this and all sorts of things that a single data scientist or even a magical black box, if you don't even get the data scientist, but you buy an AI product that promises to deliver magical stuff, uh, that box on its own won't do anything if you don't have all of these people, all of this infrastructure around to be able to deliver the real value that we are expecting from your AI project. I also talked a bit about business and technical goals, right? And if you want to uh, define uh, something, you need to make it measurable, right? So for software, it's like that, but for AI, it, it can be more challenging. So if you focus on searching for measurable uh, business outcomes, and they need to be realistic. It, it can just be something that you ultimately want, but that's not feasible. You, you need to, to have a realistic view of things. How do we get to realistic, uh, Panagio? You know, I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, leadership doesn't quite... Can we have a recommendation engine that does this? Can we reduce our fraud by this amount, given the kind of data we have? Like, they, they don't necessarily know what's realistic. How, how do we... How do we use this cross-functional team that we're building to, to arrive at realistic? There's a lot of different ways to get there. So one of them is to really set up points in time or, you know, go, no go situations uh, that, you know, oh, let's try to do this at, until this point. And then, and when we're there, we can say, okay, this is going forward or this is not. So let, what, let's see what we can do after this point. But also you have tools like machine learning canvas and all sorts of other things that you can map your problem to. And maybe if by just drawing a canvas, you can spot that you, know, you don't have the appropriate data or what you want to do is not aligned with what you have and all sorts of things. So if you do this prep work, if you really prepare for whatever is coming forward, you are more suited to get to a better situation at the end. And all of these, you know, if you think about the problem, discuss it across the board, have this go, no go situations, all of those will help you to be able to be more realistic, to know what the situation is, where you want to get there, uh, what you need to do in between so that you can really try to get to that outcome. Got it. Okay. And yeah, you mentioned the machine learning canvas could potentially be a tool. So there's a number of these, uh, and would you advocate that when people get used to rolling out AI projects, they sort of, you know, find a tool and a process for arriving at viability? I feel like so many times, Panagio, you're as aware as I am, there's just a mandate from on high. Hey, we want to reduce the false positives by this amount. We want to improve uh, sales by this amount or the man hours in our call center by this amount. And it, it's just kind of a mandate from on high. And then we run with that. Should should teams really think about having a, a process where Whenever we have a project, we can really validate realisticness. Like, would you would you advocate that that become part of a workflow, or how do people integrate this? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have software processes that work really well, uh, and those can be uh, transported to AI projects. That's not you know something impossible or anything like that. It's totally doable, and we've been doing that for a while. Uh, but then. Uh, as always, if you have a different problem with similar tools, then you might need to be to do some adaptation. So uh, I talked about machine learning canvas. That's that you know it's that adaptation of other canvases that are out there, but suited for uh, our own very own problem, right? If once you solve an AI problem, then you have to have the proper tools. But absolutely, if you don't have the proper processes set up, the proper teams there. Uh, 
it's all about people and tools and knowledge and data and AI projects. So you have to have that all uh, and processes for sure. It helps people to work the way they need, you know, need to focus on this because we have that goal and this is the order of things that we need to do. This, this for sure all help. Got it. Okay, cool. And, and hopefully some of our listeners will take this advice to heart in terms of making this a regular thing that they can do for themselves. Anyway, I know you were going through the various elements of you know what we can work on to make AI projects more predictable, more reliable, a little bit more like engineering projects. You know, we talked about talent and infrastructure. We talked about data, kind of our, our goals and metrics, um, or, or yeah, the, the business and technical goals and metrics. What are the other elements here in terms of making things a bit easier for these AI projects? Yeah, so as I was talking earlier as well, uh, data is a very key uh, element of a AI project. So if you don't have data, you were probably you don't have anything, and it all starts with it. So if you don't have it right, then uh, you might start about doing it right first. Uh, and this this very initial step, the, the beginning of it, checking the data, seeing if you have that quantity, the quality, if you abide to all the laws, if it's ethical, all of those things. If you don't do it at the very beginning, you might just find out at the very end that you have these problems and maybe you, you're building it on top of something that will not uh, sustain itself. So this is a major act. If you don't do it first, if you don't do it right, uh, maybe you're just building stuff on top of something that won't be yeah, uh, yeah. sustainable at all. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, you, where you're, tell me if I'm right here, Panagio. I really want this to click for the audience. You know, we could get our business goals right. We could build our right team and make sure the infrastructure's in place. But if this, the data we have, the way it's stored, the amount of access we have, the the flow of new data, whatever the case may be, the data factors, if they're never going to support this application, then all the other work we're doing just isn't going to work out. It sounds like that's what you're getting at. What should people do to think through, you know, checklist-wise, is our data house in order? Is our data house going to support the kind of project we're talking about? What, sh what should we be asking ourselves and, and going through as a team uh, to get to a good place there? So there are a few acts that you do about data, right? So for starters, you collect data. So are you collecting it in such a way that it abides to the laws? Are you collecting in such a way that it keeps everything that needs to keep and you're not losing anything? All of those things matter a lot. So you need to do your data collection right. After you collect it, you might need to store it. And again, you need to store it right. So are you losing any data? Are you making any mistakes with types or you know anything like that? So you need to not only collect it right, but also store it, and also in such a way that you can consume that. So am I just putting files within my computer here, and then someone will figure out how to do with those files, or I'm really trying to put it in such a infrastructure that my models afterwards can go and grab the data that it needs in a efficient fashion and stuff like that. So all of those matter a lot. Also, if you think about the other questions that I, I was talking about earlier, right? Uh, do our laws being followed? Uh, is it ethical? So you need to manage the data in, in such a way that it abides to those as well. So you, you can't just, as I said, leave the files on a computer and hope that that's okay. <laughs> you need to have security in place. You need to really take care of that data. And that's really important because sometimes you might have the right data, you might have the right amount of data, but just because it's not, it, it doesn't have the right 
uh, security mechanisms around it, then you know your application might, might not give the infrastructure or the environment for you to be able to deliver your results just because you know your project is not doing right with the data and and that can be a problem as well and one of the first things that you need to do if you have done all those right is to check the data and analyze if it gives you the answers that you want if everything that you need is there and maybe you have to even go back in, into the very beginning and start collecting it again or changing how you collect data because after you analyze you said okay there's a problem here i don't get one of the important stuff here uh, that I needed. I, I can give you a, a stupid example, but you know it it really looks stupid. But that kind of thing really happens. So, well, I, I need to give recommendations to my users based on what they like and what they don't like. Uh, okay, do you have a historical view of what people liked and didn't like? Yes, sure. And then you go to check the data, and although you might have a picture of what people like right now. Uh, you might lost the history of what they liked or didn't like because you did not have any kind of identifier of that user related to that data. So you might have terabytes of data related to users, or you think it is, but as you don't have a reference there, you might not be able to use that yeah. huge historical data to do anything. So this is a very, it really look, looks like a stupid example, but that kind of thing happens and that oh, happens, happens much all more that we time. expect, right? ridiculous ridiculous things happen right like like oh we like we actually haven't been tracking that feature or man th these th these interactions don't tie to individual users this stuff is like anonymized right after after so much other work has gone through right so what you're advocating is that those problems the requirements and the viability of the data are just upfront analyzed to make sure this is worth our time Big time. Okay. You know, you'd also, uh, I know that sort of end-to-end -end thinking is is kind of an important element here, at least in terms of the way that you guys think about stuff at, at Dayton. What does that mean? And, and how does that also apply to this whole idea of taking AI projects and making them more like engineering, more predictable? Yeah, this kind of puts it all together, right? Uh, we are talking about you need to do right with the data at the beginning, then you have to have the proper processes, and you need to think about what are outcomes, desired outcomes are, and what are the metrics, and what are the go, no go points. So all of this, uh, I, I've talked about all of those things, but it all comes together to this end-to-end -end thinking, right? So it's not like a, a lot of things that are widespread and you can pick which of those you want and just leave the others behind. You really need to think from the very beginning to the very end, everything needs to be aligned. If not, then uh, you know it's not going to work as expected, and your chances of failure just increase by a lot. So if you think about it from the very beginning to the very end, if you think about all the steps that needs to go through and all the metrics and all of those things all together, then your chances of failure will decrease a lot. Got it. And it seems like in order to do that well, you'd have to know, like you said, all the other elements that we have in place here, everything else that we've talked about. You'd have to know what these issues and hurdles are that you're thinking about. And it sounds like end-to-end -end thinking is just imagining this whole process and kind of almost like imaginarily playing your way through it and saying, is this actually going to work out? Is there anything else about end-to-end -end thinking that might be helpful for other listeners? I know we've got folks in the enterprise who are thinking to themselves, wow, I wish I could think end-to-end. -end. You know, I've got this big project about detecting payment fraud or, uh, you know, predicting uh, my inventory levels. Like, how could I be doing a better job of end-to-end -end thinking? Any, any tips for people who want to put some of your wisdom into action? Yeah, so 
for starters, do it right at the very beginning. I already talked about that, but that's one thing. Then if you have all the steps that you need to follow, have a go no goals, have metrics for each one of those, measure them well. If you got a no goal, uh, really think about following that or making changes so that you just know, don't go for the next step, knowing that you're going to fail uh, just because, you know, I want to go to the next steps, but I, I see now that it's not going to be there. But either way, as I want to go there, I'll, I'll just assume that we did something wrong until now and then hope for the right thing to happen next. If you measured that you should not be going forward and you rethink something at least, because if you say it's no go, then you go. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I think it explains itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, all those intermediary steps, everything that you measure, you need to think all of those things and you need to really follow the process that you really defined and how to get to the end uh, is really to go for uh, each one of the steps, one at a time, doing everything the way that you planned and rethink anything, anytime that where you get to something that does not look right or, you know, it's clearly is not right because you you said that it should be this and it's not like that. So stop Got there, it. rethink it, do it right. And then with a new plan or a new next step, then you can move forward again. This clearly requires more discipline, if anything, more discipline, not less than, than any element of uh, an engineering project. So that's just another, another way to drive the point home here. I think that almost everything that you articulated felt to me like diligence and rigor and really being able to do that well, uh, especially given how new this stuff is for so many folks. I, I, I wanted to get into our next question here uh, around any other ideas you have for reducing risk from the start. I think most of our listeners who are tuned in, um, some of them are probably in the middle of an AI project, for sure. Many of them are just considering something that's coming up and they might be saying, okay, um, you know, you've given some good advice about how to think from the start already, but is there, is there any other advice for people who haven't yet made the leap into their AI project that might just give them a higher chance of seeing better results? Yeah, I already talked a bit about this, but, you know, for most software projects, you might just have one big phase and they are divided into subphases, like, you know, you're doing some initial stuff and then you, you know, you iterate over that, but you can really you can't really do uh, a single project whenever you're doing an AI project. It's probably just divided into at least two projects themselves. So you need to start with an assessment. That assessment could be one or more POCs, building an MVP and stuff like that. That also applies sometimes to software uh, projects, but for AI projects, it's kind of mandatory. If you don't do this initial phase, you might be investing a lot of money, investing a lot of time, uh, putting teams and infrastructure to work uh, to an end that it's not really measured. You don't really know what you're doing. So it's better to start with this smaller uh, project first. So one of the things uh, that you need to do that on that smaller project which is ask yourself, am I willing to get the right situation? So am I defining a goal well? If you do this POC and then get to a situation where, you know, that goal looks like it's what you're trying to do is not really what you defined and you can revisit that early in the process and not you know after spending all at that time and that money to get to nowhere so if you do it first then you can measure that well uh, but that also applies to the metrics that you're going to use so let's try this metric and see if it works but if it does great if it does not let's ask ourselves what we did wrong if this metric is really the appropriate one and try it again or uh, try in a different way and also that applies to data. So 
if you don't check the data at the very beginning, then you can have all kinds of surprises uh, through the pipeline. So do I have data? That, that's the first question that I would uh, make because sometimes you don't even have data. But if you have it, is it good? Is it good data is going to answer all the questions that you have? Is it going to uh, give your models everything that they need to be able to produce the results that you expect? Uh, is the data that you have enough? So if you do this POC and you already measure that you don't have enough data to create the models, then you know you might need to collect more data or see some way to generate data to be able to even at least produce the models themselves, or at least to check that producing data is not uh, the way to go. Also on data and, and kind of one of the last topics, but one of the most important ones as well, is the data that I have understandable. So do I have information about that data? Do I have metadata about that? Can I use this data to solve the problems that I have? So if you don't do all of this at the very beginning, then you know you might be in a worse situation than you would be if you did all of those. Yeah, and I guess you know I'm imagining again. I'm trying to put myself in the the seat of the listener here and thinking about okay, do I have the data? Wow, yeah, that's a good question. And whether I do or whether I don't, from what you're saying, you know, sometimes okay, maybe we don't have the data, but we could generate it. Sometimes maybe we don't have the data and there's no chance we could generate it. it it's it's like, a, you know, and then, then there's third party data sources, right, uh, that, that we could, you know, potentially purchase in certain cases. So if, if we don't have the data, it doesn't mean that the project isn't viable, but it does mean that we're going to need to take some next steps and next actions. Is the best time to ask this question after we've thought about a potential use case? So, you know, we're in a business, we're looking around, we're, we're finding the places where AI might be able to deliver some value you know, maybe where AIs deliver value for similar companies and we find a, we find a problem. Is that the time when we need to talk to the data scientists, talk to the, the people in IT and say, Hey, we're considering this project. Here, here's four projects we're considering, five projects we're considering. Do we have data that could hypothetically support these or which of these do we need to take off the table? Like, is that the best way to do it? I'm trying to put this, uh, this advice into action and into an order. Let me know how you would advise people to, uh, to implement. Yeah, that's a very hard situation because, you know, sometimes you just have to say, if you don't have data, then do, do nothing. But sometimes you might just have data, but you don't have the right outcome and you, you don't know where you yeah. want to get to. Yeah. Those two needs to come together. Uh, it's kind of impossible to do one without the other. So what you make you know that you have or don't have the right data, knowing where you want to get and why, what you make you know which data you need then you know you need to know where, where you want to get. But if you have data and you know you want to be able to say where I can get with that, then you know you can answer that as well. So those two are really intertwined. You can't really say that do this first and then the other. It's probable that you have to do both together. And it all comes to this uh, assessment phase that I was talking about, right? So you have the data. Is it good? Is it enough? And so on. Uh, that's one thing. And am I clear on my goals? Am I clear on my metrics? Uh, it's hard to tell when to do one first and when to do the other first. Probably the best uh, case scenario is just to think about those together and you know, make them retrofit each other, You know, give feedback enough for the other price. So if you have a goal, check your data. If you have data, see if it uh, fits yeah. with your goal and stuff like that. So it, you can't separate those two. You really need to go with them together. That will be the usual situation. I think that's critical. It's it's really important advice and it meshes with some of the talent conversation that you and I have had because 
the way that we've seen this go in practice is that assessment phase, you know, that you articulated and different people have different names for this stuff. Um, but th that assessment phase, you know, it's, it's something that has to bring together the different people with the context on the business. So the data scientist might say, well, it looks like we have data, but a subject matter expert might say, oh, that's not the, the kind of information that probably is actually going to tell us, you know, who's going to buy what, or they, they might actually know something about the data source that, that maybe it's, it's not good, or maybe it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's old or something like that. So having, having the goal minded people in the room with the data minded people in the room, we see that those are often not the same person and that we, we, we need to have a cross functional team in the room to have this ongoing iterative conversation. What have you seen work there? We can end on this point. We, we've gotten to some of our really good, uh, juicy insights around, uh, around data itself, but you know, we're, we're putting this in action, the goal and the data, they've got to be married. What does that look like in terms of the team and, and the process of how that team interacts, Panagio? That's key. So as I said at the very beginning, sometimes a, a smaller company might just say, I'll, I'll buy this black box or I, I hire this data scientist. But AI projects are not made out of one person or one black box. It's really all about you know putting all the people that are needed together. So this initial phase uh, actually helps you find out where you're lacking people uh, or where you're lacking infrastructure. So sometimes you might say that you need a domain expert. Sometimes you figure out that what you really need is more people to handle the data or to prepare the data or to make the data flow uh, in the appropriate way. And there are so many different personas on this kind of project, right? So you might think of a small project where you have a domain expert and the AI expert, and that is enough for very small projects. That might be enough, but for uh, most of the cases, you might need someone to handle the data, uh, to handle the infrastructure, to handle the tests, uh, to build the software. A lot of times, you know, you have to integrate all of those models with the software that are already there. You might need to integrate the data sources that you already have with new data sources and put it all together to get to the results. So each one of those tasks might be done for, from different teams or different people. And all of those personas need to be find out early and they need to be there. So if you know that you need a kind of team there and you don't have it, then you might have bigger problems. Yep. And if you are a leader and you're listening to this, be prepared for this team construction to be part of the mix. I think, Panaji, you've put a, a lot of emphasis on the great importance of getting this stuff right up front and also a lot of great material for people to hopefully put in action so that they can get it right up front and avoid some of the, the bigger pitfalls of AI projects. So I know that's all we have for time, but Panaggio, thank you so much for being able to share some of your insights here on the podcast today. No problem. Thank you so much. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Panagio for being able to join us in this episode. And thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode. If you're interested in more use cases and financial services, you can also download our AI and financial services cheat sheet. You can go to emerj.com slash F-I-N-1. That's F-I-N like financial services. And then the number one emerj.com slash fin1. You can download that cheat sheet, which includes a list of glossary items for AI and financial services, as well as a representative array of use cases to get you up to speed fast. It's emerj.com slash fin1. That's all for this episode. Again, thanks so much for staying tuned. I look forward to catching you on the next episode here in the AI and Business Podcast. 